season is Easter season. And, but for the Jews, it was something uh, pretty amazing. It, it was a time of remembrance. It was the Passover time. Passover is one of the major holidays for the Jewish people. It was a time when they would remember the fact that, Jesus, that God saved them from slavery in Egypt. And the whole idea behind Passover, why it's called Passover, is because as part of the final plague, God would send the angel of death, who some believe is the angel of the Lord, and there's a whole theology behind that, but the angel of the Lord would actually carry the essence of God with them. So the angel of death was going to come, and the firstborn, every firstborn in Egypt would be killed. Except one way, that the way the Jews could not have their firstborn killed is that they had taken the blood of a lamb that had been sacrificed and put on the lentils in the doorpost, then the lentils on top and the doorpost, so they would spread blood, and the angel of death would pass over that house. That's why it's called Passover. And then what that final plague was the linchpin that caused Pharaoh to finally relent. Because his firstborn son died, along with all the firstborn animals also. There was more than just humans. There was great wailing throughout Egypt. So what would happen is every year a Jewish male would be required at least so many times. They tried to do it every year if possible. There was believed that there's one that Jesus did not do as an adult. But every year they'd go, they'd go to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice in the temple, the Passover lamb. They were commanded to leave their homes and come to Jerusalem. So I want you to imagine what it was like in Jerusalem leading up to Passover. People are on the road. They're traveling. We're getting ready to go on the road and travel for our vacation. What we're going to have to do, and I, I'm not looking forward to 10 to 12 hours of driving that we're going to do that first day. But think about this. Think about at that time, you didn't have a car. Chances are most people didn't have an animal that they could ride, so they would walk. And yes, Israel is not that big, but could you imagine walking from here to the north side of Fort Wayne or to all the way to Angola on dirt roads? having to stop along the way at night, and it wasn't always safe, so they would travel in large groups. So what we have, we have people flocking into Jerusalem for the holidays. The crowds were so huge that about 10 years after the time when Christ was crucified, they did a census. They took a census, and they believed that on that day, during that year, 260,000 lambs were sacrificed on that Passover. Now, the rule was, in, in Judaism, the rule is that each lamb could cover up to ten people. So at the maximum, down that time, that year, there was probably close to two million people in Jerusalem. Two million. And believe me, Jerusalem was not nearly as big as it is today. So the streets are crowded. Now, one group that was traveling on their way to Jerusalem was a rabbi, a rabbi from Galilee, and he had with him his disciples. Now, on the way, Jesus had said, you know, we're, gonna, we're heading to Jerusalem. They knew what it was. They knew what was happening as far as it was celebrating the Passover. 
Normally what they would do when Jesus and the disciples would come close to Jerusalem, they would stay with Jesus' good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We believe that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they all lived in the same house with sisters, two sisters and a brother. They had wealth. They had, they had some affluence. They were probably a supporter of Jesus' ministry. So Jesus is on his way to a place called Bethany, which is about a mile outside of the southern wall of Jerusalem. Because this is where they stay. And as they're coming, Jesus is along the way. Obviously, he, you know, he's sharing his message, talking to people, and bad news comes to him. Lazarus, his good friend Lazarus, is sick. And this is what, how John recorded it in John 11. He says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. So Jesus decides that he's not going to just quickly go. He stays where he's at for two additional days. Now, i got to ask you, did Jesus know that Lazarus would, would die or not die? I, he, he knew. But he says this doesn't lead to death. And in his usual manner, most people probably didn't quite understand what he meant. Because in reality, it doesn't lead to death. Even though Lazarus dies, it doesn't make sense. He knew. But as he said, this book is not happening so that Lazarus would die and go to his eternal reward. This is happening so that God would be glorified. Bethany is close to Jerusalem. People are traveling through Bethany to get to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is full of people on the Passover. Now, if Jesus had come at any other time of the year, what he's going to do in Bethany would probably have never been heard. Nobody would have known about it. But because of when it is and how close it is to the Passover and how many people are there, when he goes and he raises Lazarus, it is spread throughout Jerusalem. We'll talk a little bit more about that on Thursday night, about what was happening. So please join us that night. For now, we're going to skip just a little bit, a few days. Jesus has now been in Bethany for a while, and he is now coming into Jerusalem. During that week, that Sunday before, I remember, if you remember anything about the Jewish people, their Sabbath begins on Friday night and goes through to the Saturday night. So this is the Sunday before Jesus is going to go and enter Jerusalem. And as he's going along, we read in Matthew 21, it says, Now they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. This is right across from Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem today, you can stand on the city walls and you can see the Mount of Olives. Just across from them. That's where Bethphage was. And Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, a colt with her. If anyone says anything to you, you will say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Exactly. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet 
saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. What we see is we see Jesus beginning to set in motion the, the events that are going to lead to his glorification. Now, there are those who say that Jesus is just a very good man. But the, the fact is, the reality is, that Jesus is actually God. And he knows what's going to happen. He knew that donkey would be there. He knew that the disciples would be questioned. And he knew what they should say to this man so that he would let them just take the donkey. Now, I don't know about you, but somebody comes to me and says, hey, I'm taking your donkey. I'm going to say, hey, no, you're not. Because a donkey at that time would have been a prized possession. You use it to work. You use it to transport. You use, you use it for many different things. It was important. And you may be lucky to even have one donkey. Let alone now this man has a donkey and it's eating. That is that that young donkey is his is his nest egg. It's what he's going to sell probably to to live to survive. Or once his donkey passes, he'll have another donkey with having to buy one. But he instructs his disciples to do this, to go and to get the donkey and its baby, the colt that's waiting for them to ride into Jerusalem. And see. The thing about this is, is that everything that is happening is happening because it's supposed to, because God is sovereign. God doesn't force things to happen, but things just, they always seem to work out the way they're supposed to. There are some of us in life, that's how life sometimes seems to work for us. No matter what we do, it just seems to work out. It's not me. <laughs> I have to plan things. I have to be very particular. I'm going to be building some garden boxes. They're just not going to work out. Okay, I have to have plans. I have to make it work right. I have to re, and I'll make some mistakes and I have to fix it. But God has everything mapped. He knows that everything's going to work out for His glory. He's full of prophecy, and Jesus is fulfilling many prophecies during this time. And the one that He's fulfilling currently, this is one that goes back to Zechariah nine nine, and it says, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion." Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, yes, when you look at that and you look at what's written in Matthew, it, it, they're, they're similar, but it's not complete. Well, you and I do that. We don't tell the full story. Sometimes we tell what we remember of it. And that's exactly what they did. They didn't, you know, Matthew wasn't able to go back into the scrolls and find Zechariah and quote it word for word. He quoted that from memory. There's many prophecies being fulfilled. Some of them, like this one, it seems like it may be possible that it was set up. People will tell you that. Well, you know, Jesus and his disciples, Jesus probably the night before told his disciples, hey, what I want you to do, I want you to go to the town ahead of us, and I want you to find a man Rent his donkey and have, him, have it there right at that right time. And when you go in there, you can get it. And it'll look like it was a prophecy fulfilled. That's not what happened. But they'll tell you that. Because what we find out, and we'll talk more about this on Friday night, we'll talk about the prophecies that Jesus could not have had control over as a man that come true. Beyond his human control. What I find interesting is, 
You know, Matthew didn't say, hey, and, and the disciples thought that was kind of weird. They just did it. They were faithful. They didn't question Jesus. Like, oh, wait a minute. You want us to go where? And get what? Are you, are you sure? Are, are you sure we're not going to get in trouble? No, they didn't ask. They didn't question. They just did it. I'm sure they didn't fully understand it. We know for a fact that the disciples did not fully understand most of the things that Jesus was teaching them. See, Jesus had told them long before this that he was going to Jerusalem to die. And they did not understand that. Now, I, 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 I find that strange. Why, why? If somebody tells me I'm going here and I'm going to die, I'm going to be thinking, are, are you sure? Okay, how, how is this going to happen? I, I'll be honest with you. You guys, those of you who have been around, I know Brian. Brian passed away last year. Brian would always tell me how he was going to die. It's not how it happened. Trust me. What he thought was going to happen did not happen. So I would always tell him, well, you know, you've got to let it play out. and see what happens. Just be ready. But Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the officials, and they will kill me. They didn't fully understand the implications of what was happening. And it's not going to be until after the resurrection that they fully understand what was going on. We see this in John. John admits this in John 12. He says his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Then they remembered. We all experience that. Things happen in our life, and we're like, oh, man, why, 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 did, why did that happen? And then we get to a point in our lives and we realize, oh, that's, that's why I went through that. I went through that to get me ready for this. We don't fully understand always what God is doing in our lives and what God is doing in the world to bring his kingdom. We don't understand it, but we just have to have faith. And, and just work through it with Him. We need to obey His commands and be faithful. Matthew says that in verse 6 and 7 of 21, he says the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on them their cloaks, and He sat on them. Now, today many people will look at that and they well, we're going to read that literally. So he had the, the big donkey and the little donkey next to each other. They put their clothes on him. He sat on both of them. That's what it says. It says he sat on them. Well, the problem with that is that's not what it says. It says they brought the donkey and the coat and put them on them their cloaks and he sat on them. He sat on the cloaks on one of the donkeys. And it was the youngest donkey that he sat on. Well, why were there two of them? Well, I'm not so sure the, mother, the, the, the adult donkey would have been too happy if the, the baby donkey had been taken and she'd not go with it. But they set it on the smaller one, set the cloaks on the smaller one, and that's the one that Jesus rode, the foal of the donkey. But Jesus did not sit on both of them. Some people will argue. And while they're getting closer and closer to Jerusalem, a crowd, because think about this, all these people are going into Jerusalem, 
And as they're getting closer, a crowd is gathering around them. They probably, some of those may have been walking or had heard of Jesus. And, you know, he's almost like a celebrity to some of the poor, many of the poor. So he, they wanted to be close to him. And people see him coming, see him coming. So people were coming out to greet them. There's just a lot of people on the road that day. And as they're coming out, Matthew says most of the crowd spread their cloaks. Most of them, not all of them, but most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, which is why the kids laid out the burlap sacks. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They were shouting this. Now, obviously, this crowd included Jesus' disciples and their companions. Jesus didn't just travel with the twelve. There were other people who would go with him. Some of the women would go with him. Some other men, some of the supporters. And I, I imagine, I would not be surprised if in that crowd walking with him would have been Lazarus and Mary and Martha. We'll talk a little bit more about Lazarus on Friday. Now, I want you to think about this. So, so you're, you're coming along, and, and, and you're standing in, and say you're standing in downtown, even downtown Austin, and you're standing and you're doing this, and you're just looking. And you, there are people walking by you. What's going to probably happen? I think people are going to start, start stopping and watching with you, thinking, what, what's she looking at? You do that. You can see there are videos where people say they do that. They sit there, and they'll be in the city, and they'll be looking up, and they're just looking up and looking up and looking like they're, they're seeing something. And people will begin to gather around them and look with them, even though there's nothing there. So what is happening is people start seeing the crowd, and more people start coming, hey, what's going on? Let's go out there. Let's go see what's going on. So the crowd is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, I want you to imagine what's going through the minds of the disciples at this time. I mean, they, they had heard, they, they knew that they get that pretty good idea he's the Messiah. And now he's going to Jerusalem. And all these people are coming forward and around him and declaring him, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, we'll talk about that in a moment, what that means. But they've got to be thinking, he is the Messiah. And guess what? Ha! <laughs> We're his disciples. We are the disciples of the king. What does that mean? That means we're going to have a special place. That's going to tie into Thursday night service. Now, they, they had also just witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus not long before this. Just a few weeks before this, Peter, James, and John had stood on Mount Hermon and had experienced Jesus standing with Moses and Elijah and had heard God's voice. I, I mean, I think they're pretty well keyed up to think this is it. This is, this is the beginning of Jesus is finally doing what he's supposed to do. They think he's supposed to be king. All the miracles that they had seen all of the teachings that they had heard seemed to be culminating in this one moment when Jesus would enter Jerusalem on a donkey and be declared king of Israel. I'm sure some of them still doubted. Is he really the Messiah? Is this, is this real? 
So they put their cloaks on the ground. The, the crowd begins to lay their coats on, coats on the ground. And, and apparently their mothers weren't around, or they would have told them, don't put your dog coat down there. Pick it up, right? No, they put it down there because what that does is that's a humbling thing. When you, when you humble yourself, you're willing to take your very coat off because, you know, they, they're not like us. They didn't have like a whole wardrobe full of clothes. They had very few coats. And the outer coat was very important to them. So they would take it off and they laid it on the ground in the dirt to allow a donkey, a man on a donkey, to walk on it. That is a huge act of submission. They take it off their shoulders. They take it off of their own selves and lay it in the dust. You're saying that I am willing to give everything to the king. Willing to follow his leadership. And then they would go, and then they went and they cut off some palm branches. These palm branches would always symbolize joy and salvation, celebration. It was during the time of King David that the palm branches were used to honor the royalty. They also represented Jesus being worthy to be a high priest. And this is very interesting. You know, it takes 30 years for a palm tree to bear fruit. 30 years. And a man cannot become a high priest until he is 30 years old. And Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years old. Interesting. I don't know if that's what God planned, but that's how it worked out. Very interesting. A palm branch takes 30, a palm tree takes 30 years to mature to a place that it bears fruit. Jesus was 30 when his ministry started. You have to be 30 to be a high priest. Jesus was Messiah, high priest, and king. And then the people cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This, this cry, Hosanna, means save or save us now. The people, they're urgently crying for deliverance. They have lived for years under the boot of Rome. Before that, they lived under the boot of the Greeks. They had these few moments, these few years of, of peace and where they are autonomous, where they are actually ruling themselves. Before that, they were captives in, in Persia, Medo-Persian. Before that, Babylon. They have been a people who have been severely oppressed they're crying for deliverance, wanting God to deliver them. The Romans were cruel. They weren't benevolent rulers. And what the people are hoping for is now somebody is coming. This could be, if this is the Messiah, this is the king, he will come, he will kick everybody out of Rome, all the Romans out, and we will again have a king who's righteous. And if that's the fact, we know that Scripture tells us that, you know, his prophecy tells that if when that happens, then the, the God, his kingdom will spread to the ends of the earth. So this is not just peace for Israel. This is peace to the high heavens. Glory in the highest. That's what they're saying. You see, they didn't quite understand because they thought they wanted salvation from rulers. What they did, they needed a salvation that was much, much greater. The kind that they needed was not 
freedom from Rome. And that's not the kind that Jesus was offering them. See, the kind of, the kind of slavery, the kind of oppression, the kind of salvation they really needed was for something that was far more bitter, far more dangerous than any oppression that Rome could impose upon them. And that oppression was the yoke of sin that was upon them, that has been upon all of us since the garden. This yoke of this bondage of sin is a plague upon all of humanity. We see the result of it around us in our world today. The deliverance they needed was not from Rome. The deliverance they needed was from an eternity spent in hell. By crying Hosanna, they are asking God to come down and do it. And they also said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And here they're quoting a, and actually a psalm, Psalm 118, which is a messianic psalm. They're quoting 118.26 says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. But if we just take that one verse and we think, oh, okay, that's what they're saying, but we've got to take the whole book and we've got to go looking back into the context of it. If we go just a little bit earlier than that, we go to verse 19, this is what it says, and I think this truly reflects what Jesus was bringing to Jerusalem that day. It says, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That later gets used by the disciples when they're confronting the Sanhedrin. This is the Lord's doing. It is, a marvelous, in our, it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Do you see the symbolism in that and what Jesus was doing on that day? We have Jesus, the, high, the prophet, the, the high priest, the Messiah, the king, right in Jerusalem. And he's entering what's called the Eastern Gate, also known as the Golden Gate, also known as the Beautiful Gate. It's the same gate that Jesus is going to enter when he returns the second time. In Hebrew, it's known as Shahar Harahamim, or Gate of Mercy. Uh, back in, uh, it was in 1540 or 1541, um, Suleiman the Great, he was an Ottoman uh, caliphate, he was part of the caliphate, he was an Ottoman ruler, he sealed up that gate that was there at that time. The reality is that the, the gate that you see today that's sealed up is actually the real gate that Jesus entered is below that, um, because sediment has come in and it's built. they build it up. But he sealed the gate so that the Messiah couldn't come. And it's remained closed ever since. That is the gate that's sealed, by the way. You see, not everyone is happy about it. Not everyone is happy that Jesus is entering the gates. But Jesus is going to open the gates of salvation that's going to be available to those who trust in him. And only God could orchestrate this. Only God could make this happen in this way. But like I said, not everybody's happy about it. 
Matthew 21, verse 10 says, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Hmm. They don't say it's the king. They don't say he's the Messiah. They say he's a prophet. If we go to the book of Luke, we can see that the Jewish leaders weren't exactly happy about what was going on. Luke 19, verse 39, it says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And what was Jesus' reply? Well, in verse 40, he says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You see what he did there? Jesus says, what they're saying about me is true. I am the king. I come in the name of the Lord. I am bringing salvation. Maybe not the one they think I'm bringing, but I'm bringing salvation. Because if they don't do it, God the Father will make the very rocks cry out. He is the high priest. He is the prophet. He is the Messiah. He's the king who brings salvation. Jesus is pushing forward. He's moving God's timetable forward in a very intentional way. I mean, he knows what's going to happen on Friday. He knows that Thursday night he's going to be arrested. He knows Friday he's going to be on trial. He's going to be whipped. And we'll talk about this on Friday, but he's going to be crucified. He knows, he's, he knows he's going to be in the ground, but he also knows he's going to rise on the third day. He, he's, he responds to the Jewish leaders provocatively. He's pushing forward to his ultimate goal, what his ultimate goal is is for being in Jerusalem, to be killed and to take upon himself the wrath of God that we deserve. It's all primed. Everything is ready to fulfill this purpose. The Jewish leaders, they're ready to kill him. The people, they, they, they think, you know, they think they're, they're ready for their king, but they're, they're expecting the king that's going to throw the Romans out. And by the end of the week, when that doesn't happen, they're not so happy anymore. And they're easily swayed towards the side of the leaders and they're willing to cry, crucify him after they cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's a lot of prophecy being fulfilled this week. The animal sacrificial system, you know, like I said, probably close to 260,000 lambs are going to be slaughtered on Passover. That, that system is a, is a clear example of the substitutionary part that plays a key role in Passover, also plays a key role in our salvation. The blood that Christ is going to spill is the blood that's put on the doorpost and the lintels of our hearts so that the angel of death passes over us. Death where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It, it, it has no power over us anymore. As the Passover lamb, Jesus must die that death will no longer reign in our lives, will no longer have any hold on us. If you remember, if you know anything about John the Baptist, back, in, back when John the Baptist was doing his ministry, and he sees Jesus in John 1, 29, he says the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. Jesus accepts the worship of the people. He accepts our worship. 
Because what Jesus did, the significant part of the significant part of this is the fact that Jesus is coming to fix our worship. Our worship is broken. And I don't just mean that I can't I miss a note or we sing the wrong song. That's not what we're talking about. I'm not even talking about the fact that we may come in and not feel like singing. Our worship is broken because we worship the wrong thing. Idolatry is the problem. Jesus is going to take our hearts of stone that are silent in their worship for God, and he's going to make them sing out. Our hearts have been ignorant of God. Our hearts have been rock hard. The struggles in our lives have have caused us to, to harden our hearts. I love what I said last night that you know, last week that you know in, in Isaiah it says that they were brass foreheaded, hard headed. That's us, ignorant, foolish, hardened. And he's going to raise us up in praise to the Holy One who deserves our worship and praise, not the idols of our world. You know, from the very night that Jesus was born in a manger. To the time when he's entering on a donkey, you can tell there's this humbleness, this meekness about him. I mean, think about this. This is, this is the greatness of God coming to earth to be with us. In, in, in our human terms, we would be prideful. We would, yeah, that's, that's me. You'll do what I tell you, right? We would, we would, be, we would take control. We would, we would want to, everybody, we want people to worship us. Not Christ. What does he do? He's humble. He's meek. When he heals the beggars, the blind beggars, he tells them, go, go to the priest and do what you're supposed to do. He's respectful. He comes humbly as the Prince of Peace riding on the colt of a donkey. And while the people are worshiping, they're thinking, this is it. This is the climatic end. This will bring it. This will bring it. It's just the beginning. This is just the beginning. The disciples and the, and the people are looking for Jesus to put Rome, the Romans out of Israel. But what, God, what Christ is coming to do is to put sin out of our hearts. That has to happen first. Because if he doesn't do that, if that doesn't happen, then we're going to go right back to it. And no matter who's ruling over us, we're still going to have the same problem. He's got to fix the heart problem first. They want Jesus to be the great equalizer. And they should realize that sin is not equal to Christ. Sin is not equal to God. God is much greater. And they're going to be disappointed because they're just a few thousand years off from when that what they're expecting is going to happen. In Revelation 19, we see Jesus entering again into the world that's in dire need of a Savior. This is what it says. It says, then, John says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, which are crowns. And he has a name written with that no one knows but himself. 
He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with a, in which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is what the people of Jerusalem thought was going to happen that day. They're just off a little bit. It's going to happen one day. I pray it's in my lifetime because I want to be part of that. I want to see it. Either way, I think I'll be a part of it. I just want it to happen in my lifetime. But Jesus came first to die and to deal with the problem that's plagued us since the garden, which is sin. He entered Jerusalem to begin the process of redeeming us from those sins. And while the disciples and, and his followers thought that it all ended on Good Friday, that's why we call it Good Friday. Then why do we, Jesus was crucified on that day. Why do we call it good? Because that is, the, that is the point where we are redeemed, where we now can be in relationship with God again. Because on that day, that's, what, that's that pivot point. That's the day of deliverance. That's, that's like the day that the angel of death came to Egypt. That's the linchpin that caused Pharaoh to let, his, let the people go. Good Friday is our linchpin when God says, now, now we can be in relationship again. I've taken care of the sin problem. The story continues until we see him at the second coming. Which, that is going to be so much greater than this one. It is so much greater than that Sunday when Jesus walked in Jerusalem. When we see him. Think about this. All of the great conquerors in this world, Alexander the Great, El Cid, Napoleon, they all rode on mighty steeds that in their eyes reflected their rank, reflected their importance. But Jesus comes humbly on a donkey. But in the end, when he truly comes to do what he has to do, to finally eliminate the evil that's in this world, he will come on a white horse with victory. The story that begins as Jesus is entering Jerusalem continues in our lives today. And we will continue to experience that story and experience what we do until he comes again. And we celebrate that. We celebrate what Jesus is doing, what Jesus is going to do later this week. While the Jewish people, the Jewish crowds were celebrating the fact that their king was coming, we can celebrate the fact that our king has come and the king of our hearts is just waiting for us to turn to him, to surrender to him. 